Before we jump into this episode, I want to let you know that there's a few sound issues. First, Steph was really sick when we spoke. It wasn't COVID-related. Our conversation actually happened prior to the pandemic. And we were speaking over the phone, so the sound quality wasn't super sharp. That said, I think the things that Steph had to say is interesting enough that a bit of bad sound is a small cost to pay. Hi, I'm Clement Liu. Welcome again to Just Sustainability, curious conversations about sustainability, equity, and social justice. We ended the previous episode with Stefania Fragosi and I speaking about some of the general trends when it comes to equity and sustainability. To begin this episode, we will rejoin that conversation and learn about what Steph thinks are some of the things that institutions of higher education should be doing to be better at integrating equity and sustainability. We'll also learn about what Steph thinks about siloing within higher ed, the need for institutions to be better engaged with their neighbors, and various institutional requirements for political neutrality, and the impact of those requirements on supporting a bias towards status quo, reducing freedom of expression, and making the work of units with value-laden missions, such as sustainability offices and equity offices, much harder. When you're thinking about your work and you're thinking about the work of folks in higher ed, what are some of the things that we should be doing? What do you think are some of the priorities of the conversations we have, right? Because it's clear you think about these things in the context of Aishi, right? We're here to promote certain ways of thinking and the ways of doing to to improve our, our practice. What are some of the, the those the things that you would like to, to see more of? Um, more collaborative work. First of all, and foremost, I think that the environmental and social and environmental justice movements have been artificially fragmented uh, with a lot of good reasoning and a lot of history behind it, but that's something that we need to fix or uh, remediate in many situations, and we just need to be um, a bigger and more tied together group with a great, you know, a, a better shared vision for the future because we just can't get to a, a, we just need to under, you know, come to a place of understanding, a better place of understanding about what our shared vision is for the future. Um, those of us who don't share the vision that's necessarily being offered to us by our government. How do you think we get better at that, right? So, uh, the siloing of, of higher ed, or I mean, siloing of everything seems to be something that folks recognize as a problem that makes it, makes us less effective in dealing with the problems that we need to deal with. What are your thoughts about like ways we can overcome some of that siloing? I mean, I think as higher education institutions, we have a lot of power to community partnerships. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of power to not just to wrap around services, but participate in our communities fully as community members. Um, in a way that's sort of like corporate social responsibility where, you know, I'm in a neighborhood and what's my impact on that neighborhood? And we do a certain amount of that, but I think there can be a deliberate strategic element to that that might be lacking where it's been opportunistic. So like this particular silo is like, oh yeah, we want to do this with our students. And this other silo does this with our students. And it might have similar results, but I think with some strategy, we can use our resources a lot better um, to help to help that those mm-hmm. visions go forward. I also think that the politicization of certain kinds of social justice and environmental concepts has not really helped us very much. 
so that those of us who work in a public arena don't always have the clearest idea of what we're allowed to say or do hmm. around political situations. And so we stay away. So we're not sure how to engage in those situations. Um, and may have other ways of handling that. So, you know, like I can't comment on certain bills, not right. as a PCC employee. Like I just can't. And, you know, anything I want to do with students around that has to be couched in a very careful and deliberate, like student-led effort where students are saying, we want to be involved in this. And then we go, yeah, we'll help you with that. By the way, you should be aware of all of the issues, right? This is, this is our job. Um, and I don't know that that kind of neutralness is actually, I think it's a form of bias. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 right. It's, it's like, a bias towards like status color, quo. It's, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's a, you know, much like colorblindness, we're failing to recognize what's what. And, and because we can't say what's what or give an opinion, um, then, then we maintain the status quo. And, you know, we're sustainability, we're change agents. Right, right. Uh, and we're changing heats for a specific reason. So, in some way, we need to be afraid of that a little bit, either through self-education or, um, or educating those of us that manage that within our school. But not all of our schools give us the same advice about what we're allowed to do, because that's not going to be up to their risk officers in the legal department about like what we can and can't do. Well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, I mean, so how do you what navigate that? Uh, right, because um, it becomes harder as you move up the org chart, right? You know, as we we well, get this longer. Oh no, I said uh, navigating that difficulty becomes increasingly difficult as you progress up the org chart within like the school, right? So the longer you're at the job, yeah. the sort of the more more power you have, the less able you're to uh, to manifest that power, right? To to make change the ways that you think it needs to be made. Yeah, I'm not concerned about my per- personal power level on the work chart at this point in my career. I've changed job titles. Um, I'm here to provide analysis and provide opinions, so that's a little different for me. Um, I think that we're very lucky at PCC to have a very progressive outlook of, of our mission and what we're allowed to do and say and how we're allowed to participate in society. I just don't think that it's safe for every institution, and I don't know what the best way is to go about making sure that all institutions have that same ability and privilege. Um, state workers as well. Like that, we have a huge amount of employees that are state workers who think they have to be politically neutral all over time. I was like, you still have a right to vote. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, know? you know, you have a right to the opinion. You may not be able to, you know, stand on a soapbox asking for petition signatures at the door of your institution. You know, you shouldn't be doing that, but you can wear a t-shirt. You have all the kinds of things you can do. Huh. Um, but we're, we're often told that that's, it's just safer not to, not to do it. Right. <laughs> well, no, cause yeah, I have friends who work for federal agencies and they'll always be like, this is me speaking for myself and not my federal agency before they say things. I, I have that habit from working for a federal agency. And so I work for state government. I work for yeah. a federal agency. I work for two community colleges. And that is my habit. And, you know, it's, and even, even then, it's like if you work for a large consumer brand, you have to be careful and be like, I'm not speaking for that consumer brand. Right. I'm speaking for myself. And we've, and especially now that we have social media right, right. where people, who are saying, you know, even the people who are saying things that I think are horrible, like they're speaking for themselves, but they're being removed from their jobs because they want to be just, you know, so then people are being silenced, 
you know, even when I think they ought to be silenced, you know? But yeah, yeah. You're like, you're wearing your brand all the time now because of social media. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think, I mean, there's that problem, but there's also the problem that, uh, particularly when you're working in things like, uh, in an equity office or like a sustainability office, where in some sense your mission is value laden, right? Like, um, it's mm-hmm. hard to be, it, there's no, no such thing as position neutrality when it comes to sustainability, right? Like, there are particular values that are just inherent to sustainability. Then, the, when those become politicized, it becomes sort of weird, right? You're, this office that's mission, uh, is valued and that value has become, uh, a political. Well, I do think, I think there is, there can be a historical difference between the diversity equity office and mm-hmm. the sustainability office in that, where we have to meet compliance-based, um, uh, you know, compliance-based goals, I guess, yeah. where we have reporting. You know, it's like the difference between what environmental health and safety does and what sustainability does, right. or the difference between doing trainings and outreach and, and like, evaluating still full climate and reporting on hate crimes. Those are very different aspects of what we do. And I think there has been a long focus on, um, I mean, I think the diversity equity offices have had to do that as part of their mandate is to take mm-hmm. care of those potential liabilities for the college. And, and, you know, the outreach and education is justified as a way of, of, pre- of preventative medicine. Um, whereas, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't want to do it. Like they definitely want to do it. But they, I think they have to be just as careful as we do in some sense. Um, and it might be bad. You know, on your college campus, if you're a sustainability officer, I feel like those are great resources for you, for for people, if you're lucky enough to have them, for people who know how to navigate that particular space and those other tricky spaces between compliance and, like, what's going above and beyond and might be stepping on someone's toes. I think that they're excellent resources. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, and I think that that's often, I mean, there's, there's the common need to, to navigate that, that line, right? To, because I think, I think bare compliance is never just, is never enough, right? Um, no, it's never enough. It's never enough for environmental health and safety either. Um, no, it's never enough for, for any of us. Nobody wants to teach the test either. You know, Thinking about the difficulties associated with institutional rules about political neutrality, let me to think about resources that folks working in sustainability and or equity might need from professional organizations. That being the case, I asked Steph what she thought organizations like ACHE should endeavor to offer their members. Here's her response to that question uh, and the conversation that ensued. I should note that Steph talks about STARS, and for those of you who don't know what ACHE STARS is, it's a rubric that ACHE provides for universities and colleges to help them assess how sustainable they are. Well, I think we provide as an organization a lot of technical guidance, right? And we have STARS reporting that sort of helps us figure out what the standards should be mm-hmm. in all of the different areas. But the focus is very much on environmental sustainability mm-hmm. and environmental education and trying to navigate where those links to diversity, equity, inclusion are are trickier than I think they ought to be. Um, and I just, I like, those are the things that we can work on is, creating a better space for that to happen and there's there's so many different things we can do from um, providing guidance on you know beyond the, the typical or usual suspects even though like saying that kind of makes them typical subjects 
Mm. So thanks to, you know, working with student organizations, working with other kinds of student organizations besides the sustainability, student-driven organization, um, and being able to focus on topics that go beyond operations focus. So we're very operations focused. It's hard for us not to be. A huge percentage of us are in facilities management services. A much smaller number of us live in independent sustainability offices that work for the president of or vice president of student affairs. Um, and I, I, we have a lot of to navigate within that space and some of us need some guidance on how to navigate just even that space. Um, like how to, how to recognize the fact that you're trying to have an operational and educational impact from the operation side of things. I think that's to be really tricky. Um, so yeah, I think we can offer more guidance on these things. Um, and not just, you know, I get a lot of technical guidance also from second nature and it, it works kind of the same way where I, the things that I'm, we're graded on, um, don't always meet those equity standards, so it pulls our, our focus away from from other practices that we can be doing. So, whether or not it's how we use our diversity mission, other college missions, and our sustainability programs, like how do we how do we meet college missions and sustainability programming, even if it's not related to the sustainability mission but directly, but it's related to access and affordability, or like cultural competency, or uh, that's not on one of our missions, but um, it's related to what, what's the other huge one that I want to say. Um, and it, but we all have our mission, vision, and value statements. I guess that's my point. Yeah. And so being able to incorporate those into your sustainability program is something that we should be able to do. How to navigate just higher education. Mm-hmm. That's something that we need, we could do a better job because I know it's different for all of us, but um not all of us start off in higher ed anymore, you no, know? And we just yeah. kind of leave, we leap into higher ed and go, ooh, what do we do here? You know, how does this place work? Um, and kind of pick it up as we go along through, I don't know, apply through particular topics. So mm-hmm. Maybe a more systemic overview of how higher ed works or how, like, when we do reporting, there are all these reporting services that are based on what higher ed does. And if I have a more comprehensive understanding of that, maybe it's better at my job. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I don't always know how the curriculum, you know, works. Or I have to figure it out. I don't even know how to figure it out on our No, it's true. I, I think that uh, a perennial problem with higher ed, that uh, there's a lot of implicit sort of norms and implicit practices that you just have to learn by being there for an extended period of time. Um, but some people who, I think there are people who, who have a head start on that. I don't know because they have degrees in education, mm-hmm. but they spend a lot of time at national conferences, like their mm-hmm. association for higher ed, right? Uh, whatever the hex or whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. No, no. I mean, I think it, there's a parallel, right? I think there's a, that parallel issue with, uh, staff and faculty that exists for students, right? There's, there's the, there's those of us who are equivalent to the first gen folks who are just sort of stepping into it cold versus the folks who actually have right some history that that gives them some insights. Right. So I know yeah. sustainability officers who were in some other department and they started their programs. Yeah. Um, I know other people who are first time hire, first time in higher ed, like I was. 
it's totally cold, and I feel lucky because my family has a history of being in higher ed, so at least I have some people to call. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> were just okay. I, 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 my father was a graphic artist at, at a university. My stepfather was um, at a teaching institution. My husband works at a liberal arts college. My grandfather works at a liberal arts college. So I have a fair you know, relationship with higher ed, but even that made it challenging, right? And I didn't go to the school pipe that I, I never attended. There are also people who never attended the school site that they're at, too, where it's like, oh, I don't really get this liberal arts college, or I don't really get this university. So we could do some more of that as well. After the conversation we just listened to, Steph and I changed topics. Or to be precise, something made me think about how some of the students I work with, particularly those who are persons of color, have a tendency to think that sustainability is not a topic that speaks to them because they perceive the field as being more concerned with institutional infrastructure and efficiency than with the wellness of communities. That observation led Steph to talk about how those of us who work within sustainability in higher education sometimes present too narrow of an image of sustainability. Talking about that led Steph to discuss the broadness of sustainability and the need to highlight the broad range of ways that students can engage with sustainability and the need for us to think more about vocations and skills. That's an interesting point because it kind of makes you feel like we bring our students to ACE and what they see of people who are in the sustainability field is limited to what we do. Mm-hmm. doesn't bring in... By not bringing it, that's another aspect to not bringing in collaborations with nonprofit organizations, like see what other kinds of sustainability careers they could have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's lots of other things they could be doing, um, but we don't really talk about that very much with our students, at least not in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it narrows the sort of the students that are involved, which I think narrows the, the conversation space, which I do think is a problem. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I definitely, maybe this is part of having a liberal arts degree. It's like we didn't really, maybe not have, I did not have as much clear focus thought when I went into school, right? I just had learned about this environmental stuff and was like really pleased to see that you could, <laughs> old enough, and this is, you know, true that I was really pleased to see that you could major in it. And it was kind of exciting and I didn't know what it would take and I just kind of jumped in. And that was a privilege I had. Yeah. Like, I, I can't forget that that's a privilege that I had, that I could study what I liked, that nobody was going to tell me I had to have a specific kind of career, either because my family had already done it or because um, that was going to be the best pathway to a better life for our family, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, that was an extreme privilege that I had, but I, I really had no sense of where it would lead me. I wanted yeah. it to be higher ed, but it didn't exist at the time. Yeah. You couldn't go be a sustainability coordinator for a school, really. When I went to school, you could you could maybe work for Perk on a college campus, but not very many places. Yeah. Well, yeah, I actually don't think my student was feeling like she was being streamed so much. It was just that she wasn't aware of the possibility space because I, I think she had only seen a handful of possibilities, at, right, attending conferences and seeing what was happening with sustainability on her campus, and that she had sort of broader interests, but hadn't seen those manifested by uh, – by her elders, and so she wasn't sure what those spaces were. I think she's starting to find what them now. What kind of things was she interested in? Was she more... Because there's a certain amount of, like, lack of natural resources focus we have at AC, yeah. right? Oh, well, so I think in this case, well, I don't I don't think she'd ever been to Asia. I think she'd just been to other regional conferences. Um, so I, I think she's really interested in environmental justice, and she's interested in doing community organizing, and she's interested in thinking about communities of color and what sustainability means for communities of color. 
uh, versus yeah, yeah, and and, and I, think, I think for me that's a that's a really tricky space to want to walk into. I have that desire as a student as well, and I didn't mm-hmm. know how to get there, or I I at the time I kind of pre-pooed some of the options, which were like going to law school, um, and uh, I didn't really see how you know being at, you can be an advocate on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really see advocacy as like a vocation. Mm-hmm. I saw it as like social justice and, and maybe trying to relate like what um, what ties those things together that she likes, you know, negotiation, mediation, um, hands-on learning, teaching, you know, all of those things. It's harder to figure, it is harder to figure those things out and those opportunities are actually quite competitive. Mm-hmm. So it, it's harder to walk. I think so many students these days want to walk straight into what they see as like a pure moral environment. It's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard to do, especially with student debt. Um, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of like anything else I could say on that topic. I you might have some thoughts there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think this is what I think about, right? I try to think about, well, so part of it is trying to, th- I try to think about how I can think about sustainability more broadly as a way to serve my students, right? To, to have the broader set of conversations so that students can see that there is space for those conversations to be had and to start thinking about yeah. what that might mean vocationally in the future. Uh, I got to admit, right? Uh, I probably don't think about vocation, right? Vocational placement or anything like that as much as other folks because I, I work at a liberal arts college and um, we should be thinking about those things, but I think culturally we're not required to think about those things as much, even though we should yeah. be. Um, yeah, but uh, well, and I think so. Here's the way that my undergraduate I went to Overland College, and the way that they had approached it when I was in school, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that they do this anymore. And the feeling was that you couldn't be just an environmental studies major, mm-hmm. you had to major in something else too. And so, the idea was that you were going to take these sustainability principles with you into whatever space you went into, but it was good to have other interests. <laughs> um, and so, I'm using those very helpful <laughs> um, before I realized a lot of people in English end up in like law school um, but <laughs> you know it, 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 that you have to build skills and those skills will lead you certain places and, and skills training isn't necessarily something liberal arts colleges focus on um, we should you have to have, we like, should skills. but if you work on a school with a skills development mindset you will be okay yeah. yeah. Like walking into a job situation where you go, okay, what am I going to get out of this job? Like if I have a choice, I'm going to make sure that I walk out of this job with a skill to get somewhere. I may not know exactly where that somewhere is, but I know I need a broad skill set uh-huh. in this direction to get me there. Um, so like nonprofit organizations, some finance is good. Some mm-hmm. marketing is good. Some like some database management is good. You know, some stats is good. Like there's you know, there's a really wide skill set you need to do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. That's certainly how I went about it. I don't know that I recommend the meandering pathway I took through my career uh, to anybody, but um, anybody who wants to work continuously. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually <laughs> Might be the thing we do that. You know, I think there's something we don't articulate enough, right? Uh, for those of us who are thinking about sustainability in higher ed, we don't actually, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking for myself and not other folks. Maybe other folks do think about this. I think I don't think enough about what are the skills that are necessary 
for a young person that wants to work in sustainability and equity, what are the skills that they should be developing while they're they're in college? Right? Cause, or graduate school or, or graduate in a job school. situation. You mean, like what I think that's where badification starts to be like a really intriguing topic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, gamification and, and like taking badges with you so that you're looking at competency and not looking at learning outcomes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like what does it take to be confident in something? Um, you know, am I, are my communication skills competent or my, you know, math skills competent for the kind of work that I need to do? Yeah. Um, and we don't always know what those are unless we do, are able to do job shadowing or internships or professional development. I think I'm going to end this episode here. And like always, before I sign off, I'd like to quickly review what Steph and I talked about in this episode. It seemed to me that there were at least four topics that came to the forefront. One, siloing within higher ed and how community engagement might help reduce that siloing. Two, institutional requirements for political neutrality and how it makes the work of sustainability and equity more tricky. Three, the tools that professional organizations should provide for professionals. And four, the need to talk about skills and the broad range of vocations for sustainability-minded students. Please join me again next week for the final part of the conversation that I had with Steph. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.